Hello and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging fields of data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. This episode kicks off season four of the show and we are quite excited to have Rick Hall to talk to us about data analytics, entrepreneurship, and the impact of COVID on remote work. Without further ado, here are your hosts, Frank Lavinia and Andy Leonard. Hello and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging fields of data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. If you like to think of data as the new oil, then you can consider us Car Talk, because we focus on where the rubber meets the road. Although in the COVID lockdown, it's not really much of a road trip going on, but however, I do, as always, have with me for season four, of course, um, Andy Leonard. How's it going, Andy? Hey, Frank, it's going pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. This is the first one we've recorded uh, in a while without video. So yeah, feels kind of nice. I, I can wear my hoodie and, and not have to comb my hair. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um, but um, want to tell the folks about um, some an interesting email you got today from the uh, MVP program. Yeah, so it was really neat because um, I had been in contact with my MVP lead, and um, I'm gonna—I will botch her last name, so I'll just say Rochelle, and leave it at that. And she's awesome. And she found out what we were doing and highlighted our other uh, podcast, which we've kind of blended them to start with here, Impact Quantum, where we've discussed uh, our thoughts about uh, quantum computing, where we've had, uh, I don't know if we've had a guest or at least released a show yet with a guest. Not yet. Not yet. So we're working on that. But it's where the idea is that it could be its own podcast. It could be, uh, I don't know, a category under data driven. There's a lot to do there. There's a lot of overlap. Yeah, I think there's a huge, I mean, we're keeping it as a, listing it as a separate podcast for now. Just It just makes more sense. It has its own domain name, impactquantum.com. You can search for your favorite, in your favorite store. It's in Amazon. It's in um, iTunes, Spotify, you name it. It's there. We're there too. Also, as a fun factoid, I added two Alexa um, skills, uh, flash briefing skills. So you can hear our wonderful voices as part of your uh, flash briefing skills on any uh, Alexa-enabled device. Or we're recording this on the 30th of October, so you could yes. take that with you tomorrow and use it to scare people, especially with my voice. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that, let's not scare anyone off any further. Uh, we have a wonderful guest here today. Um, first time we had a guest uh, kind of on the show as well, because mostly it's just uh, you and me kind of chatting and answering questions in the live feed. Yeah. Uh, but today... Uh, we have Rick Hall, and Rick Hall is a software entrepreneur uh, focused on the analytics market. He's led the development over a dozen different software products and has taken several uh, companies from the early stage to an eventual, uh, an eventual exit by sale, um, and he's been working in analytics and software for 30 years and has been uh, a part of the evolution of several generations. Uh, we've seen the evolution of several generations of technology and practices. Currently, he's the CEO of Agenity Corporation, um, where he, the tagline is supercharge your SQL experience with analytics management. 
And Agenity Corporation is the only next-generation analytics ma- management uh, toolset designed specifically to empower analytic teams to take advantage of the top analytic platforms. Well, there's definitely a lot to unpack there. And so without further ado, welcome to the show, Rich. Uh, thank, thanks, guys. I really appreciate being here with you today. Awesome. It's great to have you. And um, um, so we were talking kind of in the virtual green room, if you will. Um, you used to live in the D.C. area. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. So one of my companies was, uh, was right there in D.C. Uh, one of the first places I did some kind of bigger data uh, work and uh, just recently moved out to Colorado. Nice. Nice. Do you ski? I do. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that was a smart choice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we got a little bit of snow, but, uh, you know, we'll see what the year brings. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so you've, um, you also mentioned that you were part of the BI Partner Advisory Council. I was. Yes. Yeah. So do you want to really tell days. us what that was? Yeah, so, you know, kind of when Microsoft went to get into the BI space, as, uh, as you probably know, uh, they brought in a guy named Bill Baker. Bill had been the original architect of uh, a platform called Express that Oracle had bought, and Microsoft brought him in, and he started this program uh, to build analytics, which started with analysis services and a whole bunch of other stuff. And Bill recruited a number of uh, consulting firms to, you know, kind of provide ideas about what they were doing. Uh, I was at the time a partner in a small consulting firm that had been doing data and analytics in telecommunications and banking and financial services and uh, somehow got an invite to join that group uh, and uh, got to kind of work with Microsoft through the development of analysis services from, say, SQL 90, I want to say 97. I hate to say that because it makes me an old guy. Uh, through uh, the 2005, you know, kind of at the point where Power BI started to eclipse that platform. And what that whole process was, as, as you may know, is that uh, – you know, the Microsoft team would bring all their engineers in front of this group of uh, consultants and they would all tell us what we were doing and we would all tell them what we thought was a good idea or a bad idea or whatever. And they, it was, uh, that's how it worked. That's cool. That's cool. Um, that was, uh, I was not involved in that because at the time I had not listened. I don't, may not have even met Andy. But I didn't listen to Andy till about four or five years ago about making the switch from software development into data. So, <laughs> yeah, we met um, in two thousand six. So, um, two thousand five. Sorry, actually, late, it was two thousand. Sorry, late yeah. two thousand five, November two thousand five. Now, yeah. I, now that I recall, but um, that's that's really cool because I'm familiar with uh, with Bill Baker. I got um, I got involved with data warehousing officially um, in the two thousand. Um, era, and that's where I, you know, kind of where I planted uh, there. I did some uh, some work in that field, SQL Server six five and seven zero, and I remember uh, Bill Baker from um, reporting services, analysis services, and integration services. So, yeah. very uh, visionary time there for for Microsoft. Yeah, yeah, it was, and, and of course Microsoft's doing some really great stuff now. 
But as you guys know, it's amazing how much the technology has moved on, right? And, uh, you know, we've seen kind of a whole other revolution in how analytics is done since then, uh, which is uh, which is really kind of cool. Yeah, it's, it's it's been it's been amazing, and I know you, you know. Um, I mean, I my first my second job out of college was working as a webmaster at BarnesandNoble.com. So I'm right there with you with the you know being the old guy, but it's okay because OG can stand for old guy or original gangster depending on your point of view. So <laughs> I prefer the latter, but you know that's just me. <laughs> there you go. So. Um, Tell me about kind of what Agility does. Uh, you know that I love the tagline: "Supercharge your SQL experience with analytics management." Yeah. Yes. So, so I, uh, uh, as as I mentioned, I've been around the analytics space for a long time. Uh, the company that I was with when I did the work at Microsoft, you know, got sold, and then I formed another one, which we eventually sold to Nielsen, uh, and. Uh, after kind of doing the corporate experience for a while, I decided I wanted to come back and do another early stage company and try to really look at what I've learned. Uh, and I was really focused on the problem of once you get the data, how do you get the data to a place that somebody can actually use it for analytics, right? So, you know, that 80% of the work that goes into data prep before AI, right? So all the AI stuff is super cool, and every time you talk to a data scientist or go to a data conference, they always say, you know, and first you get the data. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's kind of like that phrase starts their discussion. I'm like, well, wait a minute. The end, right. first you get the data is the hard part in a lot of cases, right? So, so yeah, that's you're not just problem. You're not just starting with dessert. You're starting with like the, um, the whipped cream on top of the... Of this ice cream sundae, like yeah, 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 exactly. So, so what Agenity does, right? And, and I, I had the opportunity to kind of uh, to actually buy uh, Agenity, which uh, had been around the space for some time. Is we provide a tool set for analytic or data engineers and business analysts to build their core data manipulation capabilities before. AI. So we sit on top of the big data platform. So we sit on top of Redshift and Microsoft Synapse and uh, Snowflake and Hive and, you know, kind of a bunch of these platforms. So we're not the compute layer, uh, but we're the layer that lets you build uh, reusable SQL. So great SQL, you know, IDE tool across all these platforms uh, with a catalog built in to create kind of reuse of those components uh, and addressing some of the problems around data ingestion and data profiling and data mapping uh, that all goes into that kind of work of, and first you get the data. <laughs> entire books have been written about that, like entire one sentence, you know, first you get the data. Yeah. Right. You know, and whenever you see these, like you know, like GPT three is probably probably the poster child for this, right? Uh, in the sense that everyone's all excited about what GPT did, but and it was like, wow, it had one point five billion parameters and took twelve million dollars to train, but but there's no talking about like how much data engineering went into providing that training material in a way that could be consumed. Yeah, yeah. So 
what got me really passionate about this space is, uh, you know, I had this company called G4 Analytics. We were doing uh, analytics for the tr- around pricing and promotion in the retail space, and we sold that company to uh, to Nielsen. And at Nielsen, uh, we had all the retail data from like 30 countries, and you know, all this store level data. And uh, we're trying to predict promotional performance. And I know you guys talk a lot about predictive analytics. We can talk about that. But the first thing you have to do before you can predict promotional performance is you have to identify what was a promotion. Yes. So you might have POS data. That's great, which point of sale data. But you have to figure out what in that data is a promotion. What's the beginning date? What's the end date? You have to build something called a baseline, which is what would have happened had you not promoted. Uh, and then you have to figure out, well, what's the difference between that and what did promote? And all of that becomes input to a predictive model, right? So there's a ton of work. And, and I think many analytic problems have that kind of work. The data doesn't tell you everything you need before you're going to do the analysis and you have to figure that out. So that's the kind of passion... I, you know, I kind of had a passion for that problem and how much time and effort is spent on that problem. And that's kind of what we kind of try to solve at Agenity and, uh, you know, what, what our tool sets are doing. That's you know, cool. I, that's I, cool. Go ahead, Andy. I was going to say, Rick, I, I think a lot of it's, it's very easy for people outside our field to look at what you're talking about, which kind of falls under data wrangling. But it also falls under setting up. Um, all of the comparative stuff that you need to perform a good an- analysis of it. And I think a lot of folks outside of our field look at that and go, well, that must be easy. And and the truth is you can be off just a little and really, really skew the results. Yeah, yeah, you can. It's, uh, you know, we, we were talking to a client re- recently, a big retailer, uh, and they told us they had 34 different ways to measure uh, coupon count. Huh. Wow. And I thought, well, if, if you have 34 ways to measure it, well, that means 33 of them at least are wrong, <laughs> right? <laughs> Maybe all 34. <laughs> Maybe all 34, right? Because all the stuff that goes into preparing the data, right? So, uh, you know, this, this problem really persists around how do you get the core calculations and core data right, right? And that's, you know, what we think of as analytics management is doing all that. And, you know, kind of there's this interesting thing that I've really only come to recently, which is a view that this core problem is less an engineering problem and more of a biology problem. Oh, that is interesting. Well, you know, think of it like this. When, you know, you talk about data warehousing, and in the data warehousing days, when it was purely, we'd go off and we'd get the data, assuming you can, and we'd build a bunch of logic into the process of loading the data into the data warehouse and then we present some answer to the business, right? And uh, hopefully, we're presenting them the answer they need. And there's a lot of work that goes into that process uh, over time, right? Well, that's great if you're providing an answer that you have to provide over and over again. Right. But let's say you're the head of sales at a retailer, and this crazy thing called COVID comes along. <laughs> 
And now you're suddenly worried about what's the impact of test rates of COVID on my sales at different retail stores, right? Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you go to the data team, the engineering team, and you say, hey, uh, can you bring in this COVID data into my study uh, so I can see that impact on sales? And they say, absolutely. I'll be back in six months with the answer. <clears throat> Right. <laughs> and, and and you say, well, I got to stock the stores next week, right? You know, so so you get some business analyst on your team, right? Who's got a, you know, business degree or an MBA if he's lucky or she's lucky. And you say, look, take whatever the heck is in the data warehouse and figure out how to munge in the data on COVID cases and give me some kind of an answer to this problem, right? And so you got this whole community of business analysts who are downstream from this well-engineered data pipeline, and they're trying to answer questions at the speed of business, right? And they're doing it in Excel, and they're munging the data on their own. And that's how you come up with these 34 different ways to measure coupon count, right? Oh, I see. And so, so what we need is a paradigm that empowers these downstream business people and lets them then take an analytic and let it be somehow curated so it can evolve into becoming the standard analytic, right? So uh, we're not going to have the perfect engineering to answer every question. Some things are very repeatable. They're very standard. We know how we're going to calculate you know, uh, you know, net margin or whatever it is. But so many business questions are answered initially in the heat of the moment. Uh, and what we need is the ability to support that and then let that evolve into the best answer, the reused answer, right? So that, I think of that as more of a biology paradigm than in this pure engineering paradigm. Well, you know, I hear you. And I think after we go through, um, you know, the pandemic and hopefully, you know, we won't make it through that and everything will be fine. Everybody will then have the answers that you just described. They'll have the answers to that problem. But um, one of the things um, Nassim Taleb talks about um, all throughout Black Swan and you know some of these other books is predicting the unpredictable and how sure. difficult and challenging that can be. And, you know, I'm curious, does, uh, does uh, Agenity's um, tool set, does it speak to that? It, it, yeah, it, uh, yes and no, right? So our tool set is not doing the prediction itself, right? So we're not doing the data science uh, algorithms, right? We're not, we're not doing the machine learning. We're helping you build the core data to service those problems, right? So when the unpredictable happens and you have a new set of data uh, that you need to utilize, that's where we're going to be really powerful. So we're going to give you the ability to get that data in, adjust it as an analyst, do the core calculations and feed it into whatever you're trying to do. Uh, and, uh, I mean, you're absolutely right. Nassim is absolutely right. You know, the, the, we certainly saw that with... Uh, you know, with this promotional work that I did at uh, Nielsen, you can guarantee, by the way, that all of that, those promotional analytics, you know, went completely left 
when, uh, uh, you know, when COVID came along, because, uh, you know, you go talk to retailers and if you're in the food space in retail, well, your sales went off the chart, right? right. Uh, but if you were selling, you know, uh, jeans, uh, well, maybe nobody was coming into your store, right? Right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely a, I mean, COVID, I think we'll be talking about COVID at least for the next 20 years in terms of um, not just the obvious kind of consequence of it, but I mean, in terms of just the data analytics and um, supply chains, um, you know, we, we've never really been in a society this vulnerable to supply chain disruption at this scale. Yeah. Yeah. And probably because we haven't, we, we were victims of our own success in the sense that we haven't had a major pandemic for about a century like this. Um, but it's definitely going to be a case study in, in terms of data, data analytics, and, you know, kind of not just the volume and, 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 but also the veracity of the data, right? There's, there's a lot of people who, you know, arguing to this day about the efficacy of mass, mass lockdowns, right? Right or wrong. We won't know. Yeah. Yeah. Cause this seems like a slippery little, slippery little bug that is just really hard to contain. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's been nutty and crazy times and not so good. You know, I think you guys have talked about something that uh, I, I've heard you say that, you know, uh, Satya uh, and others have said that this has sped up uh, this evolution in uh, uh, in innovation. Right. Yes. And, uh, you know, uh, I had the fortune of buying uh, Agenity in March of this year. Oh, wow. Uh, and, you know, three days after we completed the deal you know, the lockdown came, right? So my goodness. So my executive team has actually never met face to face. Wow. Uh, they're, uh, they're spread out. And I had a couple people who came with me from my company that I had founded and a couple people from the company that we purchased. And, uh, you know, we're living on Zoom and Microsoft meeting and, you know, uh, it's, uh, and it's working remarkably well. I mean, you obviously want to get together with people, uh, but probably only 20% or 10% of the amount of time you needed to get on planes before yeah. was really ever necessary, right? There, there's a lot to that. And I think that, uh, you know, in terms of, um, in terms of um, uh, business travel and stuff like that, you're right. And, and I've worked for companies that were just either – my personal experience is there's there's no middle ground. Like companies would either be irrationally against remote work or totally fine with it, and nobody in the middle. And I think that the pandemic forced a lot of the folks that were irrationally against it to reevaluate their stance. Yeah, yeah. You know, here's a funny kind of side story to that. I did. I spent. Uh, about a year doing a bunch of consulting with Silicon Valley companies after I'd uh, left my, after I'd left Nielsen. And, uh, uh, I was working for a VC backed company out there and, uh, they were hiring engineers and they're paying engineers in Silicon Valley, $280,000 right out of college. Right. And if an engineer making two hundred eighty thousand dollars in San Francisco was married to another engineer to making two hundred eighty thousand dollars, they could about buy a house, right? Maybe, yeah, maybe. And uh, 
uh, and I said to these guys, I said, look, uh, I've worked with these engineers in these other places. Uh, and, you know, we can put together this team to do these certain components. And they were dead set against it. The whole Silicon Valley culture was like, no, you've got to be here. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's, you can't innovate anywhere but in our little bubble, right? Yes. And hold, hold, uh, hold that thought. Like you're, you're, you're like, it's like you're tapping into my brain because there's a lot I want to unpack there. But, but I, it's a true story. I had an interview with a very a major um, Silicon Valley company. And you know, I, I, I didn't really want to relocate to the Bay, but I figured, you know what? I'll go on the interview. So I went there and it was, everything went well, but Ultimately, you know, when I looked at how much I'd have to spend just to get the same house I have here in Maryland, yeah, it was like two, three million dollars. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and I'm like, you know, I like the job, but I don't like it that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but but you said something there that really struck at this. So so one of the things, and and since this is data driven, this is our first podcast. We love this audience. We love all our audiences, but. Um, one of the things that's in the pipeline is a third podcast, and we're still working out the logistics of it, about startups and innovation outside of the traditional areas. I like to say outside the Pacific time zone. <laughs> there you go. Uh, because I think, I, think, I think that there was – innovation happens everywhere, right? But I also think that the, the pandemic has really altered the conversation because why am I going to live in poverty – or poverty is a strong word, but why am I going to spend 80% of my income on a, on housing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, not to say and plus if you have kids, then you, you know, the, the sure. expenses yeah. go up. Um, when I can live anywhere in the world, theoretically, and choose my lifestyle as opposed to having my lifestyle chosen by me. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's an interesting topic, right? And I, you know, kind of been through the same the same process. And you know, the analytics company that I'd sold to Nielsen, we were kind of distributed, but we always had a hard time convincing, you know, funders and others that. Well, what do you mean you don't have a location, right? Right. Uh, and uh, you know, so now with Agenity, we are distributed. We're we're spread between nine over nine time zones from Silicon Valley, where we are headquartered. Uh, to uh, Central Europe, and uh, uh, the team's working remotely uh, and uh, in a distributed fashion, and, and now that's okay, but it wasn't okay for a long time, uh, and, uh, and I think certainly, you know, kind of, there'll, there'll be a lot of analytics about that as well, so I guess it's a sideline, but anyways. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah, no, it was perfect. We we do tend to meander. Um, <laughs> but uh, one of the things that I think you've done, and I, I don't want to speak for the audience because this is something I've always, you know, kind of daydream about. You've been a software entrepreneur, not just once, but it sounds like a couple of times. Yeah. What, what are the, um, what are the upside? Well, everyone will tell you all the downsides. <laughs> Um, and everyone will tell you all the upsides, right? You know, but, but really what, what are the real reward? What are the real challenges? What are the real rewards of, 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 of being a software entrepreneur? Well, I mean, it, there's a, a bunch of things to it, right? So the first thing is that I think you should be an entrepreneur of any type if you just have it in your genes, right? Because, 
you know, it, we all hear the stories about the Googles of the world, right? They had a great idea. Everything went perfect. They were worth billions of dollars. Good for them, right? But they're the way outlier in the entrepreneurial space. You know, when I started, G4 was the name of the company that I had sold to Nielsen. We literally started it on September 10th, 2001. Oh, my God. And we had a big funding dinner in Seattle, actually at a Microsoft event. We were there for that. I was teaching at a Microsoft BI conference. And, you know, I got up the next day after this big fundraiser the night before, went for a run, came back, walked into the building, watched the planes crash into the World Trade Center, right? Wow. And uh, uh, so, you know, what started out great had some very kind of up and down times. Now, we ultimately had great success, but I ended up in the process of 12 years, two different times, once right then and once in the financial crisis of 2008, I guess, going a year without salary. So you better want it, right? Because in an entrepreneurial setting, if, if you don't double down at the moment of greatest risk, well, nobody's going to do it for you, right? Uh, so now the rewards are great if you pull it off. And I think a lot of times it's about persistence. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've learned a bunch. I made a bunch of mistakes. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's about kind of having an idea, figuring out an audience, uh, finding a way to kind of iterate on your idea with that audience. Uh, and if you can produce something useful, uh, then you can build a business around it. And, and, you know, and I think the biggest reward of any entrepreneurial space is when you produce something useful uh, that people like, right? So, you know, our Agenity product, we have a freemium model. So you can download it for free. And if you like it, you can pay for it. And uh, if you pay for it, uh, then we have a premium uh, on top of that, right? So... Unless we produce something useful for you, you're not going to buy our product, right? And uh, so it's kind of a great thing in the sense that I'm going to have to give you something valuable for you to decide that you want to do business with me. And I'm going to have to keep making it value for you to subscribe over time and for you to tell the man or the woman in the next cube that they should go try it out too. Right. And so I think that the ultimate thing about, you know, success in software today is, can you prove something valuable? That's the reward. Uh, if you're just trying to make a ton of money, uh, I, I'm not sure if there are easier ways, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it uh, sounds like they're probably, this is probably not the easiest. It's, if it's, it's, <laughs> It's, I don't know where it would fall on the spectrum, but well, I know roughly where it would fall on the spectrum, but probably not on the easy side. Yeah. Well, you, you but, just, but that's an interesting thing you brought out, like in terms of you have the freemium model and you're seeing that in a lot more places in a lot more uh, industries, you know, yeah. whether that's the self-improvement world, right? Grant Cardone does a lot of free training, but he also uses that as a funnel to pay for his more expensive programs. When I say expensive, I mean expensive um, but I also see, um, you know, you see that with like uh, a lot of streaming platforms, you know, or, or Restream, for example, has a free offer. But it's once you start using it and you like it, 
you know what? I'll pony up the money. Andy and I are both customers of theirs. So do you see that kind of that being more the norm rather than, than the exception going forward? I think, I think, you know, whether it's free or just trial or some kind of easy entry, you know, get it useful fast before you make a big deal. Yeah, I think that's the model, right? And, you know, kind of uh, in the past, uh, we would always try to sell the enterprise deal, right? And you go to right. the CIO or the CTO and you give them some great grand vision. And if they buy into it, great. They buy your software. But then... Joe user or Sheila user, you know, looks at the software and has to use it to do their job. And, you know, half the darn time they, uh, they say, this doesn't do what I need. You know, this is crazy. Or I don't want to change my business process for whatever reason. Right. So a lot of enterprise software never made it off the shelf. Right. And so, you know, the good thing about this kind of freemium model is one is, if you don't produce something that the person on the ground will use, you're dead in the water. Right. Uh, and the second thing is that you don't have to sell the grand vision. You can prove your value incrementally. Right. Uh, you know, so so that's a, that's a huge thing. I mean, we have customers, big, giant customers with 50 seats or 10 seats. And we have, uh, our, right now, our biggest is 3,000 seats. And, uh, uh, you know, that didn't come from going to the chief information officer and saying, hey, go buy this thing. It came from 10, 100 people starting to use it, word of mouth, uh, sharing it, and then going and saying, hey, look, we got all these users. Let's standardize on it. And uh, it's a completely, you know, you've proven the value. And the, the other part of the model, which I think is really key now, is subscription, right? So, yes. Uh, and I think that's, that's really important to the software business. Uh, it's good economics for the buyer and for the software company, right? Because yep. if you don't keep adding value, their subscription is going to go away, right? Yep. Right. It also makes it more affordable. Yes. Yeah. Like in, in terms of just here's a practical example for me. It's like, you know, if you wanted to buy the super duper uh, Adobe creator packages, yeah. at one point it was $13,000. Right. Now it's $50, $60 a month, which is way more easier to sell to the spouse. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, maybe you're a spouse. I don't know about mine. But the, uh, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's it, like our product, our agility product, you know, we got probably, I don't know, I want to say 100 person years invested in development. Our, our free product is free. Our, our basic product, Pro, it's $125 per user per year. Uh, and then we have a premium product, which is five times more than that, right? So uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's about that incremental value. Uh, and uh, I think that's just, it's that's a good th- it's a good thing, right? If you're a business analyst, you got to wrangle some data. You know, hey, you know, try it out. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, you know, tell us. But uh, you know, you're not out thirteen thousand dollars, right? Right. But- right. I mean, that does seem to be where a lot of things are headed. I mean, in terms of just think of cloud services, right? Like when I yeah. 
And this is an example I give all the time because, and it's amazing how many people are, have not kind of caught on to this this late in the game. I was, I, I mean, I didn't catch on to a few years ago. So, <laughs> but, but I mean, it's just, you know, if I wanted to start a new, if I wanted to start a book selling company online in 1996, right. I would have to shell out. I mean, Barnes and Noble shelled out two, three, four million dollars right. in hardware and infrastructure and services before they sold their first book. Yeah. Right. If I wanted to do that again in 2020, putting the wisdom of starting an online bookseller to compete with Amazon aside, <laughs> I would probably I could probably get away with as little as ten thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's that whole walk up, sign up, and pay incrementally model that the cloud is uh, the cloud is done. And you know, uh, I think I've heard you guys say elsewhere, uh, you know, things are changing so quickly. The fact that you don't have to buy all this hardware uh you can try things out and if things change you can you know increase your compute or decrease your compute or change which type you use uh that's that's a good thing and that's a really cool set of innovation which i think is going to allow a lot more stuff to get done a lot quickly right yeah right. it's very true and um and, and rick i'm going to pause for a minute after we get done recording today and add a, a new bullet to my uh, resume that says, uh, Rick Hall listened to a podcast I co-host. Just <laughs> the Rick Hall. <laughs> I know. I was like, wow, you've referenced some of the things we've said. I'm like, I'm thinking, like, I got I to gotta, I gotta tell Andy, like, holy cow, he listens to us. That's cool. I, yeah. <laughs> of, course I, of course I do. I like your stuff. Right? I like you. the banter, right? You know. Cool. Cool. Well, we were. Uh, I, I won't go down that path, but that's that's just awesome. I'm I'm honored, and I, I can tell Frank's honored. We're not faking this. We are really honored. Uh, thank you so much for for that. Um, yeah, a couple I, of times you said that, and I was like, wait a minute, did he just say yeah. he listens to our stuff? I, I was there, <laughs> right there. So uh, we'll we'll pivot now, as we do in uh, other shows that you've listened to, Rick. And we've got a list of questions. We send uh, these questions ahead of time, just so the audience knows, because. Although a lot of good stuff comes out of this this first part of the show. So we start with um, how did you uh, find your way into data itself? I know you obviously rocketed up there and, and served on these councils that you were mentioning and, and, and stuff like that. But did did data find you or did you find data? Rick? Yeah. So I, you know, so I started kind of playing with computers in high school uh, when I got to college, I got kind of interested on the side, and my first job out of college was working for a political group doing door-to-door canvassing. Wow. And back in the day, everything was kept on note cards, and I kept saying to the director, "This, you know, we got to automate this stuff, Uh and finally, one day, you know, she just said, oh, just shut up and go do it, right? <laughs> and uh, that's how my career in software started, by the way. Uh, and, uh, you know, so that was like build a database, right? So I didn't know what a database was. And I had to go out and read about and learn about, you know, data model and normalization and that kind of stuff. Uh, so I started out building, you know, kind of basic SQL databases. That's how my career started. But, uh, 
you know, I got hooked up with this group that was doing work in telecommunications. And so we were working with AT&T during the breakup. Again, I'm putting myself way back there. Uh, and a lot of what they were trying to do was answer business questions. So this new world of uh, data warehousing was just kind of coming along. And you had Inman and kind of Kimball. And so... You know, kind of that's how I really got started. I got started building just basic transactional databases, membership system for a nonprofit, did a little bit of consulting. They were trying to build databases to answer reporting needs. That got me into data warehousing. Uh, from that data warehousing work, I got working on bigger and bigger data warehousing problems. That got me associated with Microsoft and the BI council we talked about and you know kind of it's just evolved from there that's cool you kind of touched on this but specifically what's what's the your favorite part of your current gig it you know it, i mean there's a lot of things i like doing it i mean i have a young team so i like kind of coaching them and telling these kind of stories right and you know about what we've kind of learned along the way because data has evolved so much. But uh, I would say that evolution, learning, watching this technology evolve and being able to answer more and different questions is, is what's cool to me. You know, you, you, you talk about change, you know, what cloud computing, the fact that you can buy cloud computing with your credit card and, you know, process as much data as you want the first day you're doing it. Uh, and that compute has become elastic. That is super cool. Uh, and the ability to use all that to answer new kinds of problems quickly is just, it's just a fun, you know, fun place to be. And then I get to be around a bunch of young engineers uh, and they really, you know, kind of motivate me. Uh, and hopefully they learn a little bit from me. And that's, that's cool too. That's awesome. So, we go. We're in our complete this sentence section now. We've got three of these. So complete this sentence. When I'm not working, I enjoy blank. Uh, being outside. So I'm, you know, kind of an exercise outdoor, you know, kind of person. So I like to hike and, you know, bike and swim and that kind of stuff. Nice. So the next one is also a complete the sentence. I think the coolest thing in technology today is. I think I said it. It's the cloud. It's you know yeah. what, how innovation is changing. You know, I had an experience actually at Microsoft a couple of years ago when I was I was a CTO of a retail services company, and we decided we're going to move to the cloud. Right, and uh, uh, this is still kind of early in cloud adoption, and so we went out to Microsoft and we're working with the you know the product and the uh, customer teams. And what blew my mind at that time was the fact that we could sit with these product people and talk about a need, and they would go back and engineer it and turn around a capability like the next day, right? Wow. You know, in the SQL 2005 days, you know, they could turn around a new piece of functionality in five years, right? Uh, that. <laughs> That was the that was the gap between SQL 2000 and 2005 was it was a five year run right so 
uh, you know, how fast software could evolve right now is kind of mind boggling. Yeah, we're definitely moving towards an iteration economy. Yeah. Yeah. Iteration. I love that term, iteration economy. I'm going to steal that. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so the next thing is um, um, I look forward to the day when I can use technology to blank. Uh, to solve the climate crisis. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Which is a good segue into quantum computing, actually. <laughs> there you go. There you go, yeah. But let, let's not go on on another tangent. <laughs> go ahead, Andy. <laughs> oh, so I get, uh, now we're, we're asking, uh, no more fill in the blanks here, uh, Rick, but uh, share something different about yourself. But we always include this reminder that it's a family podcast. Yeah. So, so, so I guess I would, you know, uh, I probably grew up before they had the official ADD diagnosis, right? But, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty ADD, right? So this whole outdoor exercise thing, I have to do that because if I don't do that, I can't sit still. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, there you go. That's, that's, key to me well you're not alone uh rick i i was diagnosed uh around age uh 47 48 with adhd um it was a kind of kind of an interesting story but um we knew something was going on with uh with our son older son stevie ray and we're not you know go take medicine type people at least not first we're not against medicine don't get me wrong but we'd like to see if there's some some other way (laughs) You know, outside of chemicals first. So put him through this long series of um, counseling. And um, about every four weeks, we'd meet with the counselor, uh, uh, me and my wife, Christy, and he would explain to us what's going on and what he sees and what he's going to try next. Great, great way of managing a project, if you think about it. And as he kept, you know, like about our second meeting, I was like, okay, I know where he gets it. <laughs> it, just, it just sounded so familiar and yeah so i'm right there with you and i same here i have until oh, i sorry. quit sorry that's okay frank go ahead no i i have four desks in my home office so i, I do the same thing i kind of harness that energy i have a treadmill desk i have a standing desk i have kind of my vi- big video editing rig desk and yeah. um so yeah no i i because like I, I I can't focus on one thing but for so long like I yeah I'm right there with you yeah yeah yep. Yep. um so where can people learn more about you um, Agenity and and kind of what you're up to yeah I mean so certainly you can learn about Agenity at Agenity.com uh, we're active on LinkedIn uh, we have a Twitter feed so all those things are are out there and and like I said our model's premium so if you're at all in this space you're kind of thinking about I got to deal with some core calculations of data, you know, just try it out, right? You don't have to buy it. If you like it, you know, then hopefully you will buy it. Uh, and I'm, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Uh, you know, kind of, I've been lucky in that I've had a bunch of people who've advised me over the years. And, uh, you know, I'm always uh, open to people who are trying to figure out how to how to do this, you know, kind of software entrepreneurial game. And, 
you know, I, I try to help them. So, you know, reach out if, if I can be of any service myself. That's awesome. That's Absolutely. Awesome. We'll add that to the show notes. If that's okay, we'll put links to sure. uh, all of those things in our show notes. Um, our last thing is uh, Audible is a sponsor of Data Driven. And uh, you can go to thedatadrivenbook.com. And we get um, some money off of that. I don't think it's an awful lot, but it adds up. If uh, enough of you go out, get a get an Audible book and maybe sign up for a subscription. Um, we have three teenagers here in the house, uh, in, in our house. And we burn that. I think it's the platinum. <laughs> it's it's un, it's unusual. We'll go through a month. I think we get two credits a month. It's unusual. We'll go through a month and not buy at least three more. Sometimes six, because everybody's listening to Audible books. Uh, do you have a, a good book, Audible or, or not, that you would recommend, Rick? Yeah, so uh, there, there's a bunch of books I really like, you know, kind of uh, to pick, pick some obvious ones. Uh, you know, you might say The Lean Startup, The Lean Analytics, those are good. Uh, Crossing the Chasm is a early book about... Uh, you know, kind of marketing in the, in the, you know, in this economy. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of all that. Awesome. None none of which I've written. And, you know, we talked about earlier, I can't sit still, so I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm, I'm not sure the book is coming. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, but, you know, definitely, it sounds like you can listen to a good book while you're out on a hike or a bike ride or whatever. Yes. Yeah, That's I love cool. podcasts, which is how I came to yours. Awesome. Well, I, that really warms my heart. That's awesome. Um, we appreciate you being on the show, and I think definitely um, when we do get more information, we'll definitely love to have you on the um, the startup podcast, which is tentatively called Innovation Happens Everywhere. Love to have you talk about that and talk more about kind of your your entrepreneurial journey i'd love to do it awesome so uh one last question i'm sorry you did mention redshift azure and a couple of things so it sounds like your product is platform agnostic yeah so we uh uh we our own back end uh runs in the cloud and so it runs on on either amazon or uh, azure uh or it can uh, be implemented in in your own world on your desktop. We talk to all the big cloud platforms uh, and all the really big data, you know, kind of stuff. So uh, if it's you know Redshift, Snowflake, uh, Synapse, uh, Hive, you know, I, I mean, a lot of the big innovation in data is going on there. BigQuery, we haven't actually done BigQuery yet. Apologies to Google, but it's coming, uh, and uh, that's that's how our stuff works. And it's free to get started and download, so there's no excuse for anyone listening not to at least give it a spin. If you're a data engineer, give it a shot. Awesome. Anything else, Andy? Uh, no, but I am going to give it a shot. That I promise you. And um, yeah, same I'll, here. Uh, I'll blog about it. Yeah, well, please do. And, and you guys should you know write me back and tell me what you like or don't like, and uh, I'll pass it on to our product team. Awesome. awesome. All right. Well, with that, we will let the nice British lady end the show. Thanks for listening to Data Driven. We know you're busy and we appreciate you listening to our podcast. But we have a favor to ask. Please rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe to us. 
You have subscribed to us? Haven't you? Having high ratings and reviews helps us improve the quality of our show and rank us more favorably with the search algorithms. That means more people listen to us, spreading the joy. And, can't the world use a little more joy these days? Now, go do your part to make the world just a little better and be sure to rate and review the show.